Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I ask that you keep us in prayer, not only this morning, but for next Saturday as our church goes out to present the gospel in the streets of Coleman. Our, your prayers are coveted that the Lord might use us to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Looking forward to that. Matthew chapter 16. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged to his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Amazing. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." Pray the Lord bless the reading of his word. You know, it's not uncommon. As a matter of fact, it happens rather often that as a preacher prepares to preach a message that he believes God has laid on his heart, that God often, if not almost always, leads them to experience in some form or manner somewhat of the truth of which he's beginning to preach to others on. 
preacher once said that as virtue left Christ when a woman touched him, when a preacher preaches, a lot of times the same thing happens. No wonder they get weary and tired. But often is the case that when a preacher prepares a message, God would have him live to some extent some of the truths that he's fixing to preach to others. George Whitfield called that kind of preaching Christ felt preaching. And so it is with our message this morning. It's not easy to be humbled by your own weaknesses and failures. And though God shows you things out of his word like he did Peter concerning Christ, how soon afterwards does Peter fall and is rebuked of the same Christ which promised him great blessings. A lot of people can identify with Peter. This morning I want to take a few moments to look at this passage of Scripture and probably the next few weeks in hopes that God would encourage us in spite of our many failures and faults, especially in the shadow of partaking the Lord's Supper this morning, that God remains the same regardless of how often we fail and change, God remains the same. Christ's love never changes. We are recorded in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew a remarkable interaction between Christ and the Apostle Peter. One which would lead to one of the strongest exhortations Christ ever gave as he walked amongst men concerning following him. This whole interaction leads to this exhortation. Then Jesus then said, Jesus and the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And yet it is with this same exhortation, in the light of the circumstances before it, which encourages every true child of God to humbly embrace that exhortation. We will not see the need of denying ourselves and taking up our cross until we realize how frail and weak we truly are. As long as we're strong in ourselves... And as long as we think we're able of ourselves to live the Christian life, we'll never embrace denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Peter was very strong spiritually before this exhortation. Yet by his falling, this exhortation was, I believe, hardly received by Peter. It's amazing that so many things in God's Word must first be taught when we've been humbled by His grace and His mercy. Christ would declare unto the disciples in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled after He was the cause of troubling their hearts. In John chapter 13, All of you shall forsake Me, one of you going to betray Me, and one of you are going to deny Me three times. But let not your heart be troubled. 
amazing how God sovereignly wounds us only to heal us and bind us up again in His grace. Such is the favor and mercy of God that every true believer truly understands and embraces. Every interaction with Christ, with His disciples, as He walked amongst men, was just as amazing and glorious as the other. For whether He was instructing them on the great mysteries of His glorious kingdom, or reproving them of their own weaknesses and unbelief, every interaction, listen to me, every interaction was a true working of grace and mercy towards those whom He came to save. Whether He was revealing to them great mysteries of His kingdom, or revealing unto them their own weaknesses and unbelief and sins. Every interaction was a work of grace and mercy. And so it is with every true believer. Whether Christ is working in us to know more of the great mysteries of His glorious kingdom, or His reproving of us for our own weaknesses and sin, every, listen to me, every interaction Christ has with us, be they so bitter or so sweet, are a manifestation of His unchanging love and mercy toward us. Amen? No matter how bitter or how sweet, every interaction is a manifestation of His love and mercy and grace towards us. Therefore, we know that all things work together. good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Unbeknown to Peter and the disciples, it was Christ who sovereignly and providentially led this conversation with His asking of whom men say that I am. Christ would stir up the heart of Peter Nothing is unknown to God. Christ was not taken by surprise by Peter's standing in front of him and rebuking of him. Christ knew what was in Peter's heart, just like Christ knows what is in our heart. And as hard and as bitter as this rebuke of Christ was for Peter, it was necessary in order for Peter and his disciples and all of us this morning to embrace this divine exhortation of denying ourselves and carrying our cross. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, listen to this, for flesh and blood Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Like in John 13, in John 14, 1, when he begins to say, let not your heart be troubled. Like in that passage, so here, it is Christ who prepares Peter, listen to me, for his fall. Listen to me. I want to impart to you something that's taken me years to learn, and I hope and pray it doesn't take you as long. 
There was something in Peter that was still amiss. And Christ is the only one that knew how to get rid of that. How to redeem Peter from that. There's always something in us, in our hearts and our minds, that are in opposition to Christ and the truth of God. And God knows that. We might not even be aware of it, like Peter was certainly not aware of it, but he knows it's there. He knows it can be a hindrance, and so God, out of His love and mercy and His grace, though it might be bittersweet, will reveal unto us those things that hinder us from following Him fully. That is the mercy and grace of God, which we so hardly embrace and love. This is why the psalmist cried out, Search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me, for I know not how to go in the way of righteousness. We embrace that. As bitter as it might oftentimes be, we embrace that. Blessed art thou. Yet how quickly he would savor those things that be of flesh and blood. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father. But quickly, in verse 23, he says, now you're savoring the things that be of men or flesh and blood. It's almost as though Peter is taken to the third heaven only to be brought down very low. And beloved, that's a biblical principle that we as Christians must seek to learn while we're still young. Because you'll never get over that. You will never get over that lesson. It will always be one God will perpetually use in our hearts and our lives because we're so prone, like Peter, to be confident in ourselves. God sometimes will take us up to the third heaven so that we might understand what it is to be brought low. We bring not ourselves low. We think too highly of ourselves. Amazing how God tenderly and also at the same time very harshly deals with Peter. And yet Peter knows by the end of it that it all worked together for good. For you see, dearly beloved, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The greatest opposition and hindrance to our falling Christ is self. Do you know that? If any man will come after me, and we'll be looking at the next week or so, if any man will come after me, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself. Why? That's the greatest hindrance. That's the greatest hindrance and opposition to falling Christ is ourselves. And beloved, we're too weak and frail and selfish and sinful and unable to deal with self. Christ isn't. And he does it lovingly, yet sometimes very harshly, but for our own good. Just like chastisement, Hebrews 12, is not pleasant. I'm sure every time that you chastened your child, afterwards they didn't look up at you and say, that felt so good. It doesn't. But Scripture explains it. But afterwards, when you had time to consider it, it yieldeth, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. A child of God must learn that at an early age. Because it's a lesson we'll never get over. 
sometimes after 35, 40 years of being a Christian, when I see the mistakes and failures I make, I think, Lord, they're so childish. How could I ever do such a foolish thing? You'd think after all these years I'd know better. Barely every man at his best state is altogether holy entirely at his best state, vanity. And then the psalmist says, Selah. We have no confidence in the flesh. For the hypocrite, such a divine truth is very disturbing. He despises it. He thinks too much of himself. But for a Christian who's come to know himself to be the greatest opposition and hindrance to falling to Christ, he embraces that. He embraces when Christ scrutinizes the things that he does that are not right. He embraces the fact that God is truthful with him and honest. We tend not to be truthful and honest. We tend to deceive. Not Christ. And yet, Christ's rebuking of Peter did not change or make void the divine blessings and revelation given unto him concerning the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Christ had said in the previous verses that he's blessed and that he would give him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And even though Peter gets himself into trouble and Christ sternly rebukes him, even using the phrase, Satan, get thee behind me, Satan, it didn't make void what Christ had already given to Peter. Why is that important? We think when we do something wrong because we think God is human-like, that God is going to then remove the blessings or take from us those things He's promised us. There could be nothing farther from the truth. God, don't change. You see, our emotions change, even with the greatest partners, even with the greatest marriage. Because we're human and we are weak, our emotions change. People do things against us, and we tend to resent that. We tend to maybe disassociate ourselves with them for a while, even with husbands and wives that happens. We kind of distance ourselves maybe for a while, hopefully not long, but we do. And so we think Christ does the same thing. He doesn't. God's promises and God's blessings, as well as, if not much more, His great love and mercy for His own, are not contingent or conditional upon what we do or say. It's not contingent or conditional on our being faithful. Listen to me. I want you to understand this. Because Peter's getting sternly rebuked here. Had nothing to do with what Christ gave him earlier. That blessing was true. Christ wasn't lying to him. True, Christ knew that he was setting him up for a fall, but only that he could learn something. But it did not change the blessing that God, that Christ gave to Peter. God's promises, and you've got to embrace that. You've got to study that. You've got to pray over this until it's really 
cemented in your hearts and your minds. Nothing you and I can do or say can change the promises of God, can alter the love and mercy of God for us in Christ. Nothing. Because they're all solely founded upon Christ. And beloved, this is a promise, a divine promise many Christians struggle with in this day and age. I did as a younger Christian. And Satan, our adversary, the accuser of the brethren, will often use that to keep us under a guilt complex. We must be careful that we do not listen to the wrong voice. The promises and blessings that Christ had given unto Peter in the previous verses, Peter's falling or getting rebuked by Christ didn't change that. There's a divine truth here that I hope and pray that we all would begin to grasp even more in our Christian lives because we're going to falter and fail often in this life. We're going to make mistakes often. If you think that sometime in your Christian life you're going to reach the level of perfection, let me tell you after 40 years of living this life, it is not going to happen in this life. Peter is a great example of that. Not only in the case before us, but Peter would walk on water. Yet how soon would Peter begin to sink in unbelief? Think about that. Here he's blessed. My Father revealed it unto you, not flesh and blood. This is a blessing. This is a, this is a very great blessing here. My Father revealed this unto you, not flesh and blood. You received this from my Father. I wonder how, what that did in the heart of Peter. They, they often argued about who was the greatest amongst them, did they not? I wonder if that did not lift them up in such pride that Christ knew what would happen and therefore set the scene for this. <clears throat> I wonder if Peter was going, yeah, did you, did you hear that, John? Oh, listen to how the Lord commended me. We have no evidence of that, but if Peter has a heart just like our own, and if we're listening to Scripture and they fought often about who was the greatest, surely Peter was influenced in that direction. But Peter could walk on water. But how soon would he begin to sink in unbelief? Peter would also be one of the three disciples to witness Christ's transfiguration on the mount. That was an amazing thing. Can you believe that? Christ is transfigured right before their eyes. And Elijah and Moses standing there. Uh, what an amazing blessing. Yet only quickly after that to be admonished from heaven for speaking unwisely. Let me build three temples. God the Father says, now, Moses and Elijah might be good, but they're not the ones you should be looking to. Him. As we'll see in a few minutes, uh, they lifted their eyes up after they fell on the face, being so afraid, lifted up, and they saw no man. Elijah and Moses was gone. Only Jesus. Again, Peter would boldly declare his devotion unto Christ before all the disciples. 
Remember when he says, oh, the others might deny you, but I'll never do that. Only shortly afterwards to deny him, not one, not two, but three times. And then we have our text. After receiving one of the greatest blessings and commendations from Christ, he soon finds himself being rebuked for his savoring the things of men and not of God. Is that not much like ourselves? When sometimes we read Scripture and it's like God has opened up heaven to us and we bask ourselves in the Word of God. It's like, oh man, this is great, brother. This is wonderful. Look what God's shown me. I've been so blessed by that. Only shortly afterwards to realize that we're just as weak and frail and And that often happens to the believer. We're often reminded that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Isn't that right? It's earthen vessels. That the glory might be of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul said. And though all these things, though painful and humbling, to Peter. Though all these things happen to Peter, listen to me, this is what you need to remember. None of these things altered, changed, or influenced Christ's love and faithfulness towards Peter. Nothing did. Listen to me. None of those things did. None of those things I just mentioned, none of those events in Peter's life, none of those things changed, altered, or influenced Christ's love and faithfulness towards Peter. It remained the same. Christ remained the same. You've got to grasp that. He remained the same. Though Peter began to sink in unbelief, Christ immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him. See that? Peter sank. Christ didn't lose sight of Peter. Lord, I'm sinking. The waves are too high. The trouble's too deep. The storm's too mighty. I'm sinking here, God. He's never taken his eye off you. He never will. And about the time you think you've gone down or you're going under, that's when Christ will immediately stretch forth and he will raise you up and catch you. You know what happened when they came into the ship? said they worshipped Christ saying of truth thou art the son of God let me bring to your mind this morning that was the first time they ever worshipped Christ first time it's even recorded that the disciples actually worshipped Christ and the first time they confessed that he truly was the son of God so you see though he walked on water it was through his sinking that they learned even more about Christ and themselves. You follow me? Sometimes it's, when the, it's with our sinking. Why do you think Isaiah says he dwells with those of a humble and contrite spirit? That's where we see most of God, when we're at our lowest. And the believer embraces that. He's not ashamed of it. He doesn't reject that. First time they worship Christ and confessed he was the Son of God. And though he was admonished from heaven on the transfiguration on the mount, 
afterwards when they fell on their face because they were so afraid. The Bible says they lifted their eyes and saw no man save Jesus only. Saw no man save Jesus only. You know, if we could but in our times of trouble and tragedy and sorrow and pain and grief, if we could actually lift up our eyes and see no man for our help and aid. I don't care if he's a Moser or Elijah. See no man. Save Jesus only. That's all you need. I see no man to help me. Remember the man by the pool said? There's no man to help me. And like we said in prayer meetings sometimes, when we suffer pain and sorrow and agony, we too as Christians feel the same way. And you know what? Sometimes providentially that is exactly God's divine providence to teach us to see no man but Jesus. No man but Jesus. Though his denying of Christ three times caused Peter to weep bitterly, yet afterwards Christ would lovingly assure Peter or reassure Peter of his love for Christ. I want to emphasize that. Because the text in Scripture gives us to believe that Peter wasn't doubting Christ's love for him. Peter was doubting his own love for Christ. Lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me more than all of these? Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved and said, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know I love you. He reassured Peter of Peter's love for Christ. You see, sometimes because of our own weaknesses and failures and sins, we begin to believe we don't love Christ as we ought. And our love for him is weak and unworthy. And Christ will come and reassure our hearts of our love for Christ. You see, when we're at our lowest, we see Christ Christ at his greatest. It's a biblical truth. And in our text, Christ in rebuke and Peter would declare the true cost of following him. You see, all these events in the life of Peter prove the unchanging love, mercy, and grace of God in Christ Jesus. That though our weaknesses and sins be ever so many, and though we falter and fail in many trials of our faith, Christ's love and mercy for us will never change, but will forever remain faithful and sure. This is what we need to learn first and foremost from this text. Paul said in Hebrews 10:23, "Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering." Now listen to his words. Let us hold fast. There's a responsibility, the profession of our faith without wavering. But Lord, how can I hold fast? How can I how can I hold something so precious without wavering? Paul gives the answer in the same verse. 4. 
He is faithful. He promised. You see that? The only way we can hold fast our profession of faith without wavering is with an assurance that he's faithful. He's faithful. The promised. What if I let go? What if I slip? Christ will immediately stretch forth his arm and catch us up. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, he said, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. But watch what he says about belief. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Man, that's a rich verse. He cannot deny himself. What does he mean by that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. With Christ in us, he cannot deny himself. I will lose none that you gave me. I will lose none. Though they might wander and stray, though they might fall into the deepest of pits, though they might make the gravest of mistakes, I will not lose one. You know what? There's not a true Christian in the entire history of the world since salvation, since God. There's not a true Christian that regretted one time being a Christian. So even though Peter, a few moments earlier, was blessed with a great revelation, Peter would be quickly reminded of how much he's still in need of grace. And beloved, I'm telling you right now from personal experience, and I know you all have as well, but after so many years of being a Christian, I'm telling you, we always need to be constantly reminded of how indebted we are to grace. My administrator at the end of the week, it was a really tough week for everybody there at work, but he said, well, he said, it's Friday, it's been a tough week. I said, yeah, it's been a tough week. I said, uh, he, I said yeah, it's like, uh, it's like Peter. I feel like Peter this week. He goes, oh, yeah, when he raised the sword and cut off the ear. I said, no, no, I feel like Peter when he was rebuked by Christ for putting his foot in his mouth. He looked at me and said, you give me chills. I said, how do I feel? But oh, I'm telling you, there's something, there's something very sweet and precious when God, when God is doing the humbling. We are encouraged to humble ourselves before God, but when God humbles and you sense and feel the tenderness of his mercy and grace, even though it might be bittersweet, It's something that every true child of God embraces. Peter was taught, as well as every disciple, as every Christian, Peter was taught a glorious lesson from his falling 
because of that, we can actually thank Peter. But what I want us to remember this morning before we partake of the Lord's Supper in closing, I want us to humbly learn of Christ. Listen to me carefully. For many would condemn and even ostracize Peter for such things. Do you know that? Peter denied the Lord three times. You know how many Christians in this day and age would excommunicate him from the church? Would have nothing more to do with him. How dare you do something like that? When he got rebuked by Christ, and the Lord speaks directly to Satan through him, most churches would say, we don't want nothing to do with this, Peter. When Peter walked on water and began to sink, and the Lord had to bring him back to the ship, most Peter, most people would judge and criticize and condemn him for not having enough faith, even though they never even got out of the boat. To deny Christ three times, to be rebuked by Christ, to lack faith in walking water. People, even Christians, dearly beloved, have condemned others for far lesser sins and faults. Do you know that? Why can't we learn of Christ? What do we believe forgiving seven times seventy truly means? If we, if we were treated by Christ the way we treat other Christians who offend and sin against us, we would be in a very, very bad. Don't you think? Christ, I'm rephrasing that, if Christ treated us like we treat others. Let's learn from Christ. Well, I'm not saying, and Christ never did either with Peter, I'm not saying that we should be tolerant to sin and offenses. I think the Scripture is clear on church discipline, and, but it's always for reconciliation. Always. It's never for condemnation, ever. Even the situation in the church at Corinth is to turn his body over to Satan that he might be reconciled. Our love for one another is to equal that of Christ for us, is what Christ said in John chapter 13. So why can't we follow Christ's example with Peter? I have loved thee with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3 says. I have loved thee, not with a passing or a fickle love, not a momentary impulse or a love contingent on anything you do or limited by time itself, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, one that cannot change nor be influenced by time or circumstances. For it stems from Christ himself, who has promised never to leave. I always love that latter part, even more than the first, or forsake us. Forsake us. You see, Peter made a grave mistake in our text, one which called on Christ to sternly rebuke him. And yet, from that, we learn a lesson in denying ourselves and taking up our cross.
because of that. Next week, I want to continue in our text. I want to kind of examine just a little bit why Peter. Why does it seem like Peter seems to always be the one that Christ puts focus on when somebody fails? I mean, good, you see John calling down lightning from heaven. I know fire from heaven. I know that's a mistake. You see doubting Thomas. You see a few of them. But Peter just seems like he's imminent, like he's, for some reason, God has put the light on him. Why Peter? Peter was a pillar. Right? I'm going to look at that next week. To whom much is given, much is required. You see, Peter was a pillar. And anyone that stands up as a pillar is going to be more condemned and criticized by others. So with that said, do not bring an accusation against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. Why? Because he's in the light. And his faults are going to be <laughs> much more exalted than those who hide in the shadows of the congregation. Why? Because he's standing up Peter got in trouble a lot because Peter was the outspoken voice of the disciples. He was the one that, you know, who, who do they say I am? Oh, I'll tell you who you are. I won't deny you. I'll walk out on water. Anybody that's going to be a leader better be ready for opposition because you're in the limelight. It comes with the calling. Amen. Yes, so maybe we learn from that. And next week we'll look further into that. Amen. And I hope and pray that we'll learn from that the blessings of denying ourselves and taking the cross and not savoring the things that be of men. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this introduction this morning into this passage of Scripture, though we might learn something of the interactions between Christ and Peter so that, Lord, we might be able to embrace this divine exhortation which came as a result of this. Father Peter was truly, his heart was set because of you to receive this divine exhortation. When you rebuked him, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you bring us low that we might be able to receive thy truths. The meek, it's the meek that you will show thy salvation. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to embrace the lessons learned from our text. Help us, Lord God, to realize the blessings of denying that which is the greatest opposition to following you, ourself. And Lord, that taking up our cross, it's not somebody else's, it's ours, divinely appointed. Whatever it might be, it might be terribly hard to bear. Lord, we know not, but Father, I pray that you'd help us to find comfort in these words. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much. And in closing, Father, we do say yet another prayer for our dear sister Christy. We pray that, Lord, you bless her physically, spiritually. Lift her up, I pray, Father. Encourage and strengthen her. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.